Hey there, Multi-Amory listeners. It's Dedeker, and I just want to announce that I just did a big update to my online course, Building a Solid Foundation for Non-Monogamy. I've added more exercises, more journal prompts, and more discussion questions to tackle with a partner. And I'm also running a summer sale where you can access the course for a discount. So for a little bit of backstory, last year I launched this online course. I created it because over my many, many years of working with clients, I noticed this pattern where Many people would come to me already knowledgeable about non-monogamy. They've listened to countless multi-amory episodes, they've devoured all the books, they follow all the Instagram and TikTok meme accounts, and yet they still hit these snags in their relationships. They still feel misunderstood by their partners. So I thought it was about time to bring some evidence-based and research-backed practices into the mix to help people create a solid starting ground for their relationship as they journey into non-monogamy. So if you head over to dedekerwinston.com slash course, you can preview the intro to the course and you can see if this is a right fit for you. Go to dedekerwinston.com slash course and use promo code MULTI20 at checkout to get a 20% discount. If you are a Multi-Amory Patreon subscriber, you will get a special code for a bigger discount. So go to patreon.com slash multi-amory to get that discount code. And remember, if you are in financial need, please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and you can literally name your price. I'm serious. You can name your price at a dollar and you don't even have to give me a reason why. In fact, I'd prefer you didn't even give me a reason why because we really believe in how important it is that there's an abundance of relationship resources that are available and accessible. Again, go to dedekerwinston.com slash course, promo code multi20, or reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and name your price. Like maybe they like me, but like I'm not good enough to like as soon as anyone else expresses interest, they'd have to go with that, right? Because basically anyone would be better than me. Or with non-monogamy, like my metamors are cooler, hotter, smarter than me. So maybe my partner's just with me because they were with me before. And, and like if they had any choice, they wouldn't. I definitely felt this with Dedeker upon meeting her for the first time. <laughs> See, because I felt that about you when I we'll met you there. for the first time, yeah, Emily. Well, that's that... fine. Then we can just like cancel it out and you know <laughs> yeah. that we're both cool and smart and fun uh-huh. and play video games well and are nerdy <laughs> enough. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about imposter syndrome. This phenomena is something that affects so many of us in our day-to-day lives. And it can be really difficult when you're asking yourself these questions about whether you actually are good enough. Good enough for your job. Good enough for your relationship. Good enough for basically anything in your life. And so today we're going to be discussing all things imposter syndrome, what it is, how it can affect our relationships, and how we can learn to combat it. Who boy, get ready. 
Yeah, folks, this is a topic near and dear to our hearts. All three of <laughs> us just love fostering <laughs> a little, a little, a little, pet, our own pet imposter syndrome complex oh, yeah. just next to our hearts. To be yeah, totally honest, mine's named Impy. Impy oh, the Impy's imposter nice. syndrome. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. What's yours named, Emily? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Wilbur, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. That's the first thing that came to mind. I was going to say Fred, and I'm like, wait a minute. No, that's from the Ari Cardos episode of, of yesteryear. So I think mine, my imposter syndrome is named something with the attached. It's not like a traditional name. It's like mm. the deceiver <laughs> of oh. everyone around me. Wow. I like that. It's It's more dark and spiky. Anyway, Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's be real with you folks. The three of us are right now in the middle of writing our book manuscript. We're kind of in like the last burst of getting it ready to hand over to our editor. And we're exhausted (laughs) and stressed out. And also dealing with imposter syndrome on top of that. Mm -hmm. You know? Because that's super, super helpful. I'm going through a breakup right now, which brings with it its own form of imposter syndrome about, Mm -hmm. am I good at relationships? Am I a good person? I don't know. So answer to both is yes. Well, as thank your you, objective but, but friend. <laughs> sure, but the deceiver within my heart would take issue with that. So yeah. today we thought it would be helpful to I guess dive into this a little bit and see if we can understand it for ourselves at the very least. And maybe all y'all out there who also struggle with imposter syndrome can come along for the ride and find something useful as well. Yeah. All right. So let's define imposter syndrome first and foremost. It is also known as the imposter phenomenon, imposterism, fraud syndrome, or the imposter experience. I love that. It's like <laughs> you're going to go to the theater piece. Exactly. The imposter, the imposter experience, like the Walking Dead experience or something. Yeah, like it's a yeah. thing that you get at, at Comic Con, perhaps. So, oh, yeah, that's is, good. Yeah, exactly. It is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, when do you two feel this the most? Because I got to say, I something, for instance, that happened in my life is getting to go to China and sing over there. Like, I feel very much and have felt very much like I'm an imposter getting to do that because I just kind of happen to be in the right place at the right time. Um, You know, being in my caroling company, and then eventually they just picked me. And it was like, oh, well, I just kind of, you know, elbowed my way in there somehow. And Mm. I'm just lucky to even get that opportunity. Instead of... You're a really good singer who's worked really hard for many years and yeah. had wanted that for years before getting it and finally achieved it. And wow, I did such a good job. Yeah. Instead, exactly. you made that story that you just told us about, oh, it was yes. lucky. It's all wasn't me at all. Well, I even feel like getting into the Caroline Company at all was because you like <laughs> taught me the music and were able to like help me with that and I wouldn't have probably gotten in at all without you so there's another imposter syndrome right there why do you see this is a great this is a great case study and how deep this mm. goes right it's like levels, it very of, deep levels on me. of imposter syndrome definitely <laughs> so how about you two for me I think it shows up yeah, well in a few or maybe all areas of my life <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean everything, everything from I mean, the, you know, the obvious one is 
making a podcast and mm. giving relationship advice to people and being like, oh gosh, there's somebody they're going to figure out that I don't know what the hell I'm doing and no one should listen to me and I'm terrible and everyone should hate me. So that's where we are. You that go straight like, to the like, like hating. Yeah, yeah. Jace, do, there's, yeah. A, there's a deep like vein in this mine of hatred, <laughs> of self, of everyone hates me. Mm. That's just, that's right where you go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. That is that is where I go. That is where I tend to default. You're right, mm-hmm. because it's yeah. It's that that thing of like there's all that guilt and shame that comes with it. It's like if I am really not worthy, and haven't done enough, or don't know enough, or don't do things well enough, or don't work hard enough. Like those are all the the parts that go into the imposter syndrome. It's like if those are true, and yet I still succeed at something. It's like who boy. When people figure that out, they're gonna hate me. Or, or for me, often in my head, it's like a lot of them have already figured it out, but they're maybe mm. being polite and just not huh. doing anything about it yet. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's deep. It goes deep. Yeah, <laughs> yikes. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, it probably shows up in mm, the, the areas that are like the most important to me and that I identify with the most. Oh. Like being a writer, being a relationship mm. coach, being a podcaster, that those are probably the main areas where where it rears its ugly head to tell me you're not qualified enough, you don't have enough experience, you make mistakes in your regular life, so how therefore how dare you? How dare you <laughs> suggest that other people <laughs> could do Should things differently or better? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So pretty pretty much constant. I wouldn't say that it's like Jay's where it's every single area of my life, but <laughs> Okay, there may be a few where I feel more confident. Yeah. I can't think of them right now, but there's probably <laughs> some. I do find that interesting that all three of us kind of pinpointed things that really, really matter to us. Mm, that yeah. it's not like these benign, like random things that we're insecure about, but rather the things that really, really matter to us. And I think that that's something for people you're to right. be aware of because <laughs> unless you're just an absurdly secure human who n- understands and is fine with everything in their life, then I don't know, maybe that's potentially going to be an issue for you. Well, I wonder, and maybe you get into this later in the episode, but I I think that the root of where at least imposter syndrome lies for me is I have this expectation of, oh, when I am competent and I am qualified and I am doing everything right, it's going to feel a particular way that feels hmm. good and I don't won't have any doubts and I'll just feel 100% confident. And so... For as long as I have any doubt or self-questioning or a lack of confidence, no matter how small that feels like it gets transmuted into, oh, I must be an imposter, which seems like the trouble there is maybe in the expectation of how I expect that I would feel if I was actually successful or meant to be doing the things that I'm doing or worthy of the things that I'm doing. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's like a broken expectation on your own internal part. So here's some characteristics of imposter syndrome. It's estimated that nearly 70% of individuals will experience signs and symptoms of imposter phenomenon, as they're calling it here, at least once in their life. I think that seems low. That's amazing. There's there's actually 30% of people who are not going to experience this. I'm like, who are these people? Yeah, what's their life like? I know. I wonder if there's any difference based on generations as well. Mm. I think, I feel like I've noticed that our generation, millennials, 
at least tend to be more open about imposter syndrome, if not more Hmm. experiencing it more frequently, but we talk about it a lot more frequently. Well, I will say this. I spoke today to a person who's a very good friend of mine who is a boomer about imposter syndrome, and he was like, what is that? I've never heard of that before. (laughs) And I was like, maybe we're just more aware then. Yeah, Yeah, it could be more awareness. I explained it to him and he was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's just something that I think all he's also an actor. He was like, that's just something all actors feel. And I'm like, Mm. yeah, okay. (laughs) All right. But um, but interesting that he didn't have like a definition for it. And Mm. maybe that's Mm -hmm. because, yeah, the definition didn't happen until 1978, which we'll talk about momentarily. Gotcha. Okay. So there's a particular flavor to this where not only may you feel like uh, my own skills or my talents or my accomplishments aren't worthy or maybe I'm doubting them, but there can also be a sense that I am either actively or passively deceiving other people into believing that I'm more competent than I actually am. So that can be a particular flavor that some people experience. It's been recognized to affect men and women equally. Uh, We don't have data on studying people who are not in the gender binary, unfortunately, but I'm willing to bet probably just all human Everybody. Everybody everybody can come to this imposter party. And the way that it's studied, it's studied as a reaction to particular stimuli and to particular events. So it's not classified as a mental disorder. It's not recognized in the DSM, although... In the DSM, you will find that they do recognize things like low sense of self-esteem and a sense of failure as being associated um, with symptoms of depression. So imposter syndrome, for calling it a syndrome, I think technically isn't classified as such, but there are a lot of overlaps of the different facets of imposter syndrome that could potentially intersect with different mental disorders or poor mental health, potentially. I think that might be why there's these other terms like imposter phenomenon or the imposter experience, TMTM, (laughs) uh, that those might be there specifically to avoid using the word syndrome, which seems Mm. to imply something more clinical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. For a lot of people, this this most commonly happens when entering a new job entering a new academic setting. It happens to a lot of students that are in a new academic environment, you know, going to a new school or entering college or things like that. I feel like anecdotally, I've heard a lot of people report imposter syndrome sometimes when entering a new community or sometimes Mm. when Mm. taking on or discovering a new identity or, for instance, taking on a new type of relationship that sometimes people get that sense of, ooh, I'm not X enough, whether that's I'm not polyamorous enough, I'm not queer enough, I'm not geeky enough, or I'm not progressive enough or whatever it is for this particular community or identity that I'm taking part in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Totally. I think that's important to note that that even though a lot of the research is focused around academic settings and workplace settings, these things show up a ton in our interpersonal relationships and our communities. So just something to be aware. And of course, the researchers often work at universities and they do their studies on university students. So that's going to kind of be where they're looking, like that's where they're most acutely aware of this phenomenon. But it absolutely happens across the board in all sorts of situations. So now please join me in a little time machine. And we're going to go back to 1978, when the term imposter phenomenon was introduced in an article titled 
The Imposter Phenomenon in High-Achieving Women, Dynamics and Therapeutic Intervention by Pauline Clance and Suzanne Emes. I just want to say that they initially, I, I guess it was thought initially from what I've read, that women only were the ones who experienced imposter syndrome. But then upon oh. further research, they have found that it experiences basically across the board in everyone. But wow. yeah, okay. that's why yeah. their first, like the, the first people that they looked at were all women for this, which huh. is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so in this particular article that they published, they defined imposter phenomenon as an individual experience of self-perceived intellectual phoniness and that imposter syndrome may be accompanied by anxiety, stress, rumination, or depression. So again, they're looking at this in more of an academic setting there, which is why that intellectual phoniness, even though as Dedeker pointed out, you know, in, in more modern day, we're aware that it shows up in all sorts of places like being not clear enough or progressive enough or whatever it is. And the researchers, they investigated the prevalence of this experience by interviewing a sample of 150 high-achieving women in the United States. All the participants had been formally recognized for their professional excellence by colleagues and had displayed academic achievement through degrees earned and standardized testing scores. So despite this consistent evidence of external validation, the women who they looked at, they lacked the internal acknowledgement of their accomplishments. So they talked about how their success was a result of things like luck or, you know, they other people maybe just were overestimating their intelligence or their abilities. And the two people who did this article, Clance and Emes, they believed that this mental framework for imposter phenomenon, it developed from factors such as things like gender stereotypes or early family dynamics, uh, just a person's culture, things like that. And it also talked about, I looked at a different um, study that was also done by these people, and they talked about how two um, siblings might sort of be at odds with one another and their parents within like a family structure because one sibling might be thought of as like the golden child and the other sibling might also have high achievements in a different area. But if a parent perceives, you know, one sibling as being more intelligent or more accomplished than the other, then that may bring on feelings of imposter syndrome in either sibling. Because if hmm. the one who is hmm. high achieving academically perhaps feels as though, oh, well, maybe I don't deserve this, then they might feel that imposter syndrome. Or if later on in life, the kid who achieved in something else didn't get that external validation from their parents, that might also bring on an imposter syndrome. So it's interesting, like that's a, a way in which family of origin can sort of bring about these feelings of imposter syndrome just get you coming and going huh yeah seriously (laughs) wow i and yes i mean again they just determined that people felt also depression and generalized anxiety and low self-confidence those who experienced imposter syndrome also felt those things as well this anxiety and Mm -hmm. and low self-confidence which is understandable so now we're going to hop back in our time machine and Fast forward to 1985. So in 1985, that's the first time that we get an actual 
like research model, a scale to be able to measure these things. So the first scale that was designated to measure characteristics of imposter phenomenon was designed by Clance in 1985 and called appropriately the Clance Imposter Phenomenon Scale or CIPS. The scale, yeah, SIPs, KIPs, whatever. So the scale was used to determine if characteristics of fear are present and to what extent. And the aspects of fear that they were looking at include fear of evaluation, fear of not continuing success, and fear of not being as capable as others. And I think even breaking it down that way is really, really interesting because Mm -hmm. those are also these other particular flavors of imposter syndrome that seem like they could be going underneath the surface. So the scale was designed to measure the concept that individuals are successful by external standards, but have an illusion of personal incompetence. And the scale would assess components of the phenomenon, such as ideas about self-doubt and ideas about achieving success by chance. And in that same paper in 1985, Clance explained that imposter syndrome has six dimensions to it. So the first of those is what she calls the imposter cycle. And essentially, the way this cycle works is you have some kind of achievement-based task. So, you know, doing well at a new job, being good in a relationship, uh, writing a book, making a podcast, you know, whatever it is. You have something that's achievement-related. And then that leads you to have self-doubt and anxiety. I'm worried about this thing. And then as a result of worrying, you will either over-prepare or procrastinate or potentially both, right? So you're, because you're really just so scared of, of screwing this thing up. And then you do the thing and generally speaking, it goes okay. It goes better than your fears were almost all of the time, right? Because your fears are like the worst thing that could possibly happen. And so it does well. You feel a little bit of relief. People give you positive feedback, but then you discount it. You come up with some other reason for it. And in her particular model, she identified if you went the over-preparation route, then your excuse is, well, I just... I worked really hard on it. It's not actually that I'm good at it. And then if you went the procrastination route, people tend to attribute it to luck. Uh, oh, I just, I guess I got lucky or I just happened to find the right thing to say or, or something like that. So you discount that positive feedback, which then loops back around to feeling like you're a fraud, that you fooled people, you have depression and anxiety, and then you go on to your next task and it loops back around. So that's the, the imposter syndrome cycle. Mm. So that's the first of the six dimensions. The second one is the need to be special or the need to be the best. The third one is the characteristics of what she calls the Superman or the Superwoman, which I I think is that same idea of like, I should just be able to do everything. Like if I were actually good, I would be able to just show up and do it like Superman Mm -hmm. can, right? Then there's the fourth one is a fear of failure. The fifth is a denial of ability. Like, like we talked about, like, oh, it wasn't me, it was some other factor. And then the last part is feeling fear and guilt about any successes that you do have. And Clance noted that the characteristics may vary a little bit, but by her model, for an individual to be considered to experience imposterism, at least two out of the six have to be present. So that's a pretty low bar to clear. Two? I'd say, yeah. like, I could, all I could, of them? <laughs> oh, I could knock that out in like an hour. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm just realizing that maybe the one area 
that none of us have imposter syndrome is on our ability to experience imposter syndrome. Oh, because <laughs> yeah, we all felt confident very confident. There. <laughs> like, yeah, man, I got this on lock. No problem. <laughs> Amazing <laughs> and horrifying. Maybe that's the wow. secret sauce. Is that the secret ability yeah, there you that go. helps? Because at least you got <laughs> yeah. something going for you, right? This, I just like, I can do one thing well. Yeah. <laughs> I want okay, all of you listeners out there, I'm really interested to hear which of you never experience imposter syndrome or experience it very minimally. And like, mm. please tell us your secret. Just write <laughs> yeah. us or like write on our Instagram or something and tell us what your secret is. Thank you. <laughs> I wanna I wanna know. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So we want to go on to talk about how imposter syndrome shows up specifically in relationships and how it can manifest, what the effects can be, as well as some techniques and tools that we can use to try to combat imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon or the imposter experience, whatever you want to call it, imposterism. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some of the sponsors for this episode. We really appreciate all of our sponsors for helping to keep this show going. And we appreciate all of you for taking the time to listen and maybe check them out if any seem interesting to you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. All right, and we're back. So yeah, boy, oh boy, can imposter syndrome affect our relationships. This has definitely happened to me. I'm not sure if it has happened to all y'all out there. But what can this look like? It can look like things such as feeling like you're not good enough for your partner. Maybe you feel like I don't make enough money, so I don't have a job or, you know, some sort of way that will support us or support all of the things that we want to do that my partner wants to do, eventually creating a family, stuff like that. I think that what's interesting about how all those tie together there is that the way they tend to show up is someone thinking, well, I'm not something. And maybe that's mm -hmm. a, a true thing that they're not. Like maybe I don't make a ton of money or I don't have a ton of free time or I'm not very sexual or, you know, like whatever it is, there's something and maybe there's some truth to that thing. But then it feeds into this loop of, well, because I might not be this, therefore someone can't love me. Yeah. And so if they do say they love me, I'm fooling them somehow, or they're, or just they're being lying. nice, or they're lying, or right, or I've tricked them into it, or I'm just working very hard and I'm not going to be able to maintain it, or right, all that stuff we talked about in the cycle before. That it's it's like whatever thing it is that for you is is the thing you're insecure about tends to be the one that ah uh, because of this, no one's going to be able to handle me. It's because totally. I'm polyamorous, no one's going to be able to handle me. 
Or recently, I've heard more and more people being like, because I'm monogamous, I feel like no one's going to love me. Uh, Whoa, you know, there's, really? There's all sorts of ways it can look. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I think something else that comes up, and, and that's interesting in our millennial generation as well, is this idea that, like, I don't want to have kids because I don't think that I'll be a good parent or mm. I didn't have oh. good role models. That's 100% my thing. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, mm. that's not the that's not the only reason that I'm choosing not to have kids, but that's definitely a place my mind has gone is mm. thinking that. that mm-hmm. I, I think if I had kids, I would just not be a good parent or sure. wouldn't be a yeah, good I've enough parent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, it's funny because I like to think that I'd be a really good parent, but I also don't have kids and have made the decision not to in my own life. But I can tell you with 100% certainty that if I did, that would be the area of the worst imposter syndrome oh, in my gosh. whole life of, oh, of really? doing a bad job of raising a kid, for huh. sure. Because it oh, already yeah, comes I up for me with like... It. Dedeker's niece and nephew, or oh. like with my godson, like oh, wow. I, I get twinges of it, and I'm like, if I were a, a, the actual parent, though, who boy, mm-hmm. that would huh. be, <laughs> that would be like what mm-hmm. kind of imp- yeah. what what does that manifest as? I'm curious because I have no idea what that would look like. Like this thing of of second guessing anything that I ever say to them or do in front of them of Am I like, going to oh, gosh, screw this kid up I probably <laughs> taught them a horrible thing yeah or um, or you know seeing some little thing and being like oh gosh that's that's probably my fault that they mm. thought that was okay to do or I should have better modeled for them not to do that or like oh this little thing happened I think they hate me now I think these kids hate me <laughs> I think this is fresh in Jason's mind because we were just with my niece and nephew. We were visiting my family and we were staying in an Airbnb separately and we took my niece and nephew back to the Airbnb with us on separate nights to have Mm -hmm. like one-on-one time essentially so they could stay the night and we could have a sleepover. Oh, fun. (laughs) Jace in bed at night turns to me and he's like, oh, do your sister... And brother-in-law, do you think they they hate us for taking their kids away? <laughs> You're like, they love us for taking their kids I, away. Yeah, like, Are you kidding me? You know, a single parent that would hate someone for taking their kids away, unless it was non-consensual. But I yeah. think we're in the clear. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. I also did go into the weekend worrying that Dedeker's niece didn't like me. And I came away feeling like, oh, actually, I thought we, you know, got along really well. And maybe she's warmed up to me some. Good. Um, and I'm sure I'll I'll find a good excuse for why that was so that I can feel anxious about it in the future. Right. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. like by the time so. you're seeing her again, you'll come back right back around and be like, oh, she probably hates me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so moving back to relationships and not Jace's hangups uh, is some other ways this can show up in non-monogamy. Uh, or really monogamy too, is this fear that, well, they're going to like someone else more than me. Like maybe they like me, but like I'm not good enough to like, as soon as anyone else expresses interest, they'd have to go with that, right? Because basically anyone would be better than me. Or with non-monogamy, like my metamors are cooler, hotter, smarter than me. So maybe my partner's just with me because they were with me before. And like, I definitely if they had any choice, they wouldn't. With- yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely felt this with Dedeker upon meeting her for the first time. 
See, because I felt that about you when I we'll met you there. for the first yeah. time, Emily. Well, that's but... fine. Then we can just like cancel it out and know <laughs> yeah. that we're both cool and smart and fun uh-huh. and play video games well and are nerdy enough. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then all of those underneath it is that idea that my partner deserves better than me. Like maybe mm-hmm. even if I don't think my partner is going to go with someone else or they'll leave me for someone else, but that really like I'm holding them back somehow, that, that their life would be better if they had someone besides me. I think another way this shows up in relationships is I think sometimes this is at the root of not being able to accept compliments or other forms of love from mm. your partner. Mm. You know, I, I know the way that it's sometimes shown up in my life is if a partner says to me something really nice or really sweet or a big compliment in my head, I'm like, oh, well, they're not in my head. <laughs> they don't know the things that I've been thinking. Or they didn't see me like how crappy I looked at this particular moment or whatever. And so they don't know what they're talking about. And hopefully they never find find out, but they'll probably find out. And I probably don't deserve for them to say this nice thing to me. Hmm. I think that maybe we can make the case that some imposter syndrome is underneath, you know, maybe one of the blocks that prevents us from being able to receive love open-heartedly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. It's like the whole thing of not being able to receive a compliment just in general, not only yeah. in our relationships, but it's it's all related, right? It's all part of that same seed of, oh, no, I, I didn't, oh, this old thing, you know, that kind of, mm-hmm. no, you can't, you can't compliment me. Yeah. I'll fight you. Fight you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then, so we've, we've got this feeling and how does it manifest? Like, how does this show up? What does this cause us to do? And some first things that come to mind is withdrawal or emotional unavailability. So it's like, well, they're going to find me out, so I should just stop because then I can protect myself from getting hurt once I get found out, right? Comparison to others, like we were talking about really beating yourself up over that, as we talked about and as Clance defined in that cycle, that anxiety coming up to future you know, future tasks, future achievements, future relationships that like, oh gosh, oh gosh, what if this one figures me out? Mm-hmm. And of course, related to that, I think anxiety goes hand in hand with depression. Often, if there is this heavy internalized sense that I am deceiving everybody and I'm not worthy of this, that that could be a very depressing thing. Of course, the low self-confidence and I think kind of the the very negative self-story attached to that can really grind you down. You could spend a lot of time agonizing or obsessing over your mistakes. And this is where they really get you. This is where they really get you. Because... Who they? (laughs) Yes, because they, the people who developed imposter syndrome. Oh, Oh, I see. I think think we developed it internally ourselves. (laughs) No, no, no. They just defined it. Imposter Experience, Inc., who rolled out (laughs) the imposter syndrome thought it would be so great. (laughs) Yeah. That's how they really get you, those fuckers. Because of the fact that as human beings, we all make mistakes all the freaking time, big ones and small ones, and especially in our relationships. You know, we're constantly making little mistakes. We're constantly stepping on people's toes. We're constantly making choices that are maybe a little bit selfish or um, unintentionally hurting people. And if you already have a baseline of imposter syndrome, any mistake that you make just adds onto the pile, right? It's further evidence that I'm really not cut out for this and really shouldn't be doing this. And mm-hmm. especially if you're someone who struggles with some hyper-functioning, over-perfectionistic tendencies, it's even worse. 
You're talking about yourself. Yes, I'm talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) This whole episode's about ourselves. (laughs) Sorry. Wow. Not only do we have imposter syndrome, we're really selfish and yuck. (laughs) No, yeah, boy. On the flip side of this, you could also be constantly looking for approval from others. You know, looking for that sense of, can someone validate me? Can someone tell me that actually I'm okay? Can someone tell me that I'm competent? Can someone tell me that that I deserve to be here? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I actually think that it could be a great thing to go to your friends, go to your loved ones, or go to your boss if they're a good boss or whatever, and find appropriate ways to get reassurance or to get a reality check. I think that's fine. But if it's something that you're finding yourself constantly relying on, in order to avoid handling those feelings of imposter syndrome, that could be a problem. When I perform, oh boy, is that a big one for me? I'm like, yeah? please tell me you love me. Please tell me <laughs> oh. I was good. <laughs> oh. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the chasing, chasing that, that high from the approval, but then immediately yes. flipping back around to be like, but they must just not have been paying attention. Exactly. And so then that's yeah. the other part of this, you well, know, the way it shows up in behavior yeah. is there can be a complete lack of trust. Mm-hmm. in other people. You can be doubting other people around you. I think that's where you get almost a little bit of this delusion of, oh, everyone's just being nice to me. And really, I w- I'm, was truly horrible. I really wanked that. Mm-hmm. And everyone is just trying to protect my feelings. Or maybe they're they're laughing at me behind my back. You know, it can really, really um, go into some weird places. And lastly, it can show up as self-sabotage. And so this comes from that fear of kind of like withdrawing that we talked about before. It's like, I'm going to get hurt when someone realizes that I'm not good enough for them or they finally find there's someone better. So I'm going to kind of make sure this crash and burns before that. So then I'm at least in control, right? Mm -hmm. That's that like, maybe things are getting a little tough or I see this show up when people go through a stressful event like losing their job or something like that. And it heightens some insecurities they may have already had about how worthy they are of their partner. And then in all that stress, they kind of tear it all down. They, they start being nasty. Maybe they start cheating. They like find other things that maybe are simultaneously trying to validate them in some areas while also kind of giving them an out from the one thing that, that they are really scared about, like that relationship that means a lot to them or something like that. So... It can show up in all sorts of ways professionally as well, but that's how I've seen it play out and have experienced it play out in relationships. Well, here is the ultimate question. Is this fixable? Should we try to fix it? Before we dive into what the (laughs) research says about ways to combat this, I want to hear from the two of you. Have you tried to deal with imposter syndrome before? Have you tried any kind of hacks or tips or tricks, either adaptive or maladaptive, to to deal with your own imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think sometimes time and talking yourself down a little bit does help. At least internally, that has helped for me. Like, I... Yeah, I got a call from a friend that that said that they were going to introduce me to a new agent potentially. And that was really exciting. But initially, once I got that call from him, like, oh, call this agent on this day. Immediately, I I just I felt awful. I felt like you're totally not somebody who deserves this. You don't, 
you know, have enough credits or enough whatever. You're, you shouldn't be looking for this. You're, you know, you don't deserve this essentially. Mm -hmm. And it took me like two days to really get over that internally in my brain and just sort of flip the switch and try to move in a direction of, okay, like, look at the things that you have done, be proud of your achievements and move on from there. And however the chips fall, that's how it's going to be. And that's okay. And you don't have to like, tell yourself that you suck at everything. But yeah, I think sometimes like getting away from the initial emotion is a good way to combat it. And that just like takes a little bit of time and self-soothing in whatever manner best works for you. Mm. I found I have two examples. The first one, I'm not sure. I'm honestly honestly not sure if this is a good plan or not. But the first one is something that I've been doing a lot since I started a new job maybe five months ago, something like that. And so I'm kind of gradually being given more responsibilities, but also kind of needing to prove myself to the more senior people in this position so that they can eventually sign off and say, yeah, Jace is, you know, good enough that that he can do this thing on his own, right? That he could he could do this presentation on his own without us having to, you know, shadow him or something like that. And a technique that shows up there for me is trying to do stuff sooner. Like it's hmm. you know, Tim Ferriss talks about this of like setting unreasonable deadlines of trying to fight like procrastination. Book, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, like our book, yes. But like setting a deadline of tomorrow, for example, for a project instead of a month from now. It's not because it's that idea okay. of if you just are kind of forced to do it now, there's no room to procrastinate. And so you spend less time feeling anxious about the fact that you're procrastinating. But here's the part where I'm not sure if this is if this is maladaptive or if this is a good plan, because it also gives me a little bit of a mental excuse for if I do feel like something didn't go well, it's like, well, I always want to find up for the first slot. You know, I mm. I didn't I didn't have as much time. And if I did have more time, I probably could have done better. And so it's like, I don't know if that's just making excuses, but it does help for me at least to take a little bit of that edge off of, oh my gosh, I, I prepared for this thing for a month and and I still still feel like I didn't do as well that mm. that kind of helped. So that's that's one. And then the second one, this came up with a, a therapist that I had years and years ago who would do um, EFT tapping, emotional freedom technique tapping, while also doing the counseling coaching kind of stuff. And this would come up a lot when I would do music performances. And I'd say something like, I felt like everyone there just like could not wait for my set to be done. Because mm. it was just awful and they didn't like it. And I was just kind of wasting their time by being there. And she would, you know, tap, 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 tap. Did anyone say that to you? Mm. Oh, like what, what kind of evidence do you have that that was the case? You know, did, did you see anyone Touché. making faces like that? <laughs> kind of like mm. gently <laughs> asking those questions of, do you actually have any evidence? And then asking the other question of, do you have any evidence to the contrary? of did anyone say it was good? Did anyone seem to be enjoying themselves? And kind of looking at that and just, it never got me to the point of going, yeah, you're right, people loved it. But it got me to this point of, mm, okay, I don't know. Maybe I don't know anything. <laughs> and that was better than where I was before. So <laughs> I'm going to put myself down in a different way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
I guess for myself, when I really sit and think about it, I think the way that I've coped. Oh, I, I don't know if this is healthy or unhealthy, but usually it's like, oh, this just means I need to work harder. Means I just need to study harder. I need to learn more things. I need to become more competent. If I'm feeling less confident or less or less competent or less confident, I just need to do the things to make myself get there. And I think it's good on the one hand because it can be motivating for me to learn new things and to branch out and acquire more skills. But then on the other hand, that doesn't actually tend to help in the long run. It does mm. not actually solving the problem. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't really solve the problem. Mm. So we have a list here of some things to try. I, I think this seems like the kind of thing where I think everybody's imposter experience is slightly different. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sprout based on different insecurities, different contexts that you come from, different background. And so I don't know if all of these tools are necessarily one size fits all, but these are some things that you can try on and just see if it helps to shift it even a little bit. So the first one is to make a list of 10 things that do make you qualified for the job or for the relationship or for success in general, however you define that. The next one is positive affirmations. So we've talked about that somewhat on the show. I Something that... The article that I got these from, which was from New York Times, talked about is that research has shown that adding your name to the affirmation makes the affirmation even more effective. And it's something that like high achievers and people like that do. They'll say like, LeBron James, you know, this is best for LeBron James. <laughs> like they used him as an example, which is interesting. interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if that is almost separating yourself from the feeling or putting it together more. I'm not sure. Maybe. Yeah, maybe yeah. kind of tricking yourself into this is a thought that came from externally. Yeah. You know, that this came from an external source. So they're talking about me in third person. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. But adding your name is, is a good thing for a positive affirmation. Like, you know, Karen is worthy or mm -hmm. Jace is loved by people, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Gosh. Yeah. Emily is loved by agents. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's good. That's actually a really good one to practice, though, because I think that's something that has come up for me in some workshops and things I've done is when you stumble on something like that that feels really uncomfortable, mm -hmm. there's something there, right? Mm. It is, if, if it's that, you know, Jace's loved by his godson or something like that and it like feels like i'm that freaks me out a little bit to say it that's a good one that's a good one to to focus on and yeah. get yourself more comfortable with it uh, another one is just taking the compliment you know avoiding that tendency to make excuses and we've talked before on our episode about microscripts of the microscript of why thank you as sort of a go-to response when someone gives you some kind of compliment or a partner says something nice to you is, why thank you? Instead of, oh no, I look terrible. My hair is all greasy today or, or whatever else you might be inclined to say. My partner said to me the other day, he's like, I just wish you would let me give you a compliment. And I looked at him and I was like, why thank you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Because, yeah, you were trying to give me a compliment and I totally was like, no, I don't. I'm not. La, la, la. So I had to yeah, wait for myself. That's, 
normally I'm a lot better about this, but because I'm in the throes of a breakup, it's been real hard for me to take compliments mm. from Jace. Mm. Real, real hard. I'm sorry yep. about that. Something else that you can do is you can visualize success or what success looks like. I think this is something that gets covered a lot in the sports psychology world about athletes and other high achievers visualizing a successful move or a successful play. Often it's related to physical things. I think that something that might be helpful here, because like I talked about at the beginning of the episode, part of the reason that I think my imposter syndrome comes up is because I visualized a version of my own success where I visualize myself feeling much more confident or feeling mm. differently. And I wonder if more helpful visualization might include, yeah, it's I'm successful and it feels a little scary and a little shaky, but I'm still successful in this way. That maybe there might be something there. I like that, yeah. Also, you can talk to a colleague or a friend or a mentor or someone who cares about you, but also is someone who's going to like tell it to you straight about how awesome you are, about how high achieving you are, about all of the things that you do well in your life. And, you know, hopefully someone that you trust that you're like, well, this isn't just my mom is going to tell me that I'm the most amazing <laughs> person. But, you know, somebody whose um, opinion you value and trust, not that I don't value and trust your opinion, mom, because I most certainly do. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, so another one here that, that came from this New York Times article is about work on your confidence. And it says specifically, try to speak up, raise your hand, or volunteer. Fake it till you make it is kind of the idea there. And it's funny because I read this and I kind of thought about that idea of setting unreasonable deadlines or like being the first to do something of kind of that, like, I'm going to just get this done and get it over with so that I'm spending less time feeling anxious about it. And hopefully also get kind of that feeling of, okay, I did it. I did it. And mm. maybe after you've done things enough times, you might start to believe that you can do that thing. <laughs> At least that, that has been my experience. And I have found that in certain areas where I do feel more confident, like about being able to give a demo or a presentation explaining something, that is something I feel relatively confident about, even though I'll still have imposter syndrome. But it's also something that I'm usually the first one to be like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, go, I'll do this thing. Sure, I'll sign up to take the first slot to do that. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll do those. And it just, you have that evidence for yourself about, oh yeah, I've done this, so I know I can do it again. Yeah, definitely. Something that I love, I love creating the stash. That's what I call it. I've talked mm. about it on the show before, but it's this idea of like create a folder on your computer, um, in your phone, or you could do old fashioned hard copy style of having a journal or a physical folder, but just keep track of nice things that people say to you, praise that people give to you or have written about you, really wonderful, loving, complimentary things that your partner says to you. And it can be really good to have that and to reference that just as a little pick-me-up or when you're feeling the imposter syndrome creeping in, to have those around as reminders. I really, really love this technique. Just to throw this out there, I really appreciate any of our listeners who do write in or comment to us about things from the show that have been meaningful to you or have been helpful. And we will often... Yep. It makes me cry often, but we will often send those to each other 
Mm, when yeah. someone's kind of feeling down or struggling more, it'll be like, hey, Emily, like I just saw this comment that someone said about the episode that you planned or this thing you said on an episode. You know, check it out. You're great. See, even other people get it. <laughs> so we, we really And then I call those that. other people a liar also and <laughs> I throw it in the garbage. No, I'm kidding. And no, we really, no, really appreciate it. it. Definitely. It is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, another thing that you can do is just communicate with the people around you and especially your partner if it's specific to something in your relationship that's causing feelings of imposter syndrome. Maybe you need to examine and look at, is there something internally that's going on that I feel like I'm lacking in this relationship or that I feel like I could be getting more of? And that can manifest in a lot of different ways. But through communication with your partner, maybe you can identify that. Maybe you can look and develop like strategies or some sort of thing that will help with that feeling of imposter syndrome. Like, okay, I'm worried that my partner is going to leave me for another person. Maybe it's just that I want to have more quality time with this person, want to go on more one-on-one dates, want to you know, feel loved and appreciated and reminded of that. I, I want to give us one last little bonus one that this is something that Emily and I were actually just talking about earlier today. And that is, I saw this somewhere once on Twitter or Instagram or somewhere a couple of years ago, but it was this idea of instead of feeling imposter syndrome to instead think, I'm the greatest con artist that's ever lived. And just really be <laughs> yeah. like, maybe I am fooling everyone, but I can be proud of that instead of ashamed and afraid of this. It's like, you know, that's kind of fun. I like that. Yeah, I really like that. That's excellent. And a nice way to like reframe everything and and make it into a positive as opposed to a negative. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, everyone. Well, that was fun. We took a, a deep dive into imposter syndrome. I hope that all y'all out there learned a little something and maybe just, you know, realized that these three chuckleheads on this podcast that you listen to every week also feel imposter syndrome very intensely and that you're not alone in feeling that way if you yourself feel it. So we are going to go on and record a bonus episode for our patrons. We are going to actually use the Clance IP scale, the imposter syndrome test on ourselves and determine how imposter syndrome we are. What is it called? Who, who's, the, who's the best imposter? Yeah, who's the, there it is. I love that. It's a contest. <laughs> who's the best imposter? I think it's going to be a tight race between the three of us, quite Ooh, frankly. <laughs> yes. All righty. We would like to know from you on our Instagram this week, how does imposter syndrome show up in your life? We told you all the ways that it shows up in our <laughs> life. Now you get to tell us how it shows up in your life. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balbanetta. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. 
Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.